Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church, especially if you're visiting with us for the first time. Uh, it's great to have you here, and uh, what a beautiful Lord's Day it is. Amen? We're thankful for the freedom and privilege to be here. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. In Christ, we have seen the glory of God, and we cannot unsee the beauty of our God and His grace to us in Christ. He sent His Son uh, to live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and die the death we deserved. And He rose on the third day in victory over sin, death, and hell. And we just praise the Lord for the salvation given in Christ. And we've been captivated by Him. As a church, we exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to our world. And we hope that you'll see His beauty today and that by the time you leave, you'll be captivated by Him as well. I want to give a thank you to all of our Wednesday night and uh, both youth and children's volunteers, our workers that serve on Wednesday nights. They'll be taking a break this Wednesday with uh, winter break, and so just wanted to uh, pre- express appreciation for them and thanks to them. I uh, hope you all enjoy your, your break on Wednesday. I'd invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word, Romans chapter 13. That's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, and then verse 10, and then we'll uh, read down through uh, verse 14. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We've been seeing in Romans 12 that the only right response to God's love to us in Jesus is love for God, and love for others, even our enemies last week we saw. And I'm so thankful that we know the gospel that is, uh, has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're in the kingdom of Christ, all because of His grace and mercy to us in Jesus. Uh, I'm so thankful for that gospel message. We're going to be talking about what that means for how we live. It does, uh, it does call us to change Uh, We're to walk in the light, as John would say, even as he himself is in the light. But there are so many people around us that have never heard, they've never seen the light of the gospel in Christ, they've never heard the good news of him. You have neighbors and co-workers, family members, so we want to pray for them and for your witness to them. But we also want to pray for uh, the unreached of the world. Today, we want to pray for the Azeri people of Armenia, small people group of about 15,000 Uh, an Islamic people group among whom there is no evangelical uh, witness. And so we want to pray for God to get the gospel 
to the Azeri people of Armenia. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your great mercies given to us in Christ. Thank you that we who trust Christ know with full confidence that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. So committed and is your love. So finished is the work of salvation. Jesus paid it all. And salvation and forgiveness and righteousness are all gifts, free gifts given by you so that in the end, you, Father, get all the glory. Lord, I do pray that today you would help us That you'd help us to live and change, be changed by your word and and live as those who have been loved. Live in holiness and purity and, and love, even in imitation of the God who gave his son to save us. Lord, I pray you would open doors for witness among our neighbors, those close to us, whether family or friends or co-workers, and that we would be bold to talk about Jesus. Lord, I pray for the unreached of the world and especially the the, uh, Azeri people of Armenia that, God, you would get the gospel to them and that they, they would be prepared by your spirit to hear and receive the truth about Jesus. Lord, this morning we want to pray for Jessica and Bradley Johnson and baby Natalie. We pray for uh, just wisdom for doctors as they um, have to do some procedures there with the baby and we just pray for your help there. God, we pray for Tony Jordan as he recovers from surgery. We also lift up the family of Brian Mobley, Lord, as um, Tony's daughter lost her husband just not not long ago, a couple weeks ago. And we just pray for continuing comfort there as well as for the family of Janice C. Lord, we pray for Lee McGargie and Brooke Araliga. Sherry Newton and Billy Duncan and Bobby Tharp. Lord, you know each and every need and all the different situations there. God, would you just make your presence and comfort known to each of these and use us as we have opportunity to love and encourage and uh, just just help any way we can these that, that we're praying for this morning. Father, thank you that you are the God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. God, you can open a door for us to share the gospel this week. You can bring healing, if you so choose, in the lives and even in the bodies of some of those for whom we pray. God, you are able, and so we call on you for your namesake to work in ways beyond our imagination so that you might be greatly praised and that people would come to know Jesus. Lord, thank you for the privilege of worship. Open our hearts now as we sing, as we pray, as we open your word together, as we give. God, may Christ be lifted high. And in him may we be fully satisfied and yet ever thirsty for more of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song this morning. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're going to sing Living Hope.
y'all can be seated. Father, we just bow this morning before your holiness. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord Jesus, worthy are you, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We praise you for who you are. We stand in awe of your mercy and grace that even though you are holy, 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 you loved a world of sinners. You loved us. You sent your Son to do and be all that we could never do or be. And to bear in his own body on that tree our sins and be forsaken by the Father and serve as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, though he was perfect. How we praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose from the dead and you live and you reign and rule over all things today. And I thank you that you are coming back to bring our salvation to a completion in one sense and the beginning of eternity in another. What a day that will be. But in the here and now and in the meantime, as we look to your coming and wait for your coming, Lord, we need you every hour. And we want to be used by you to show the world just how beautiful and awesome and full of grace and love you truly are. So teach us today, we ask. Wake us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And so, once again, thank you to all of our volunteers who serve us there. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13, you can find that in your Bibles. It will also be on the screen. But before we get started, let's start right. Now, some of you have lived part of your life waking up to that bugle call, haven't you? If you're one of our uh, veterans or active in the military, currently serving, raise your hand. Yeah, so you've heard that a few times. What is that bugle call called? Reveille. And what does that bugle call mean? Get up, somebody said. Wake up. Reveille, it's from the French word to wake up, literally. And that bugle call signals the official start of the day. In basic training especially, soldiers are to be dressed in uniform and in formation and stand at parade rest until Reveille is over. And another song, To the Colors, begins as the flag is then raised there to snap to attention for the raising of the flag. This daily occasion 
is intended as a reminder to, a, to, to U.S. military personnel that today they're on duty in the service of our nation and every day, and they live to honor the flag and all that it stands for. As we continue this morning in our series, stewarding our lives for the glory of King Jesus, we're going to be reminded that we, as believers, as Christians, are our eternal King's servants serving as emissaries of the kingdom of heaven and therefore live every day in a spiritual war. Our text for today as it's found in Romans 13, 11 to 14, and the title of today's message is Our Spiritual Reveille. Our Spiritual Reveille. That's what this passage before us is. And the take-home truth from Romans 13, 11 to 14 is this. Every believer must live spiritually awake, actively casting off sin and putting on Christ. Romans 13, verse 11. Paul says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As we read through there, and especially when you read the phrase, put on the armor of light, it is the picture of a Roman soldier being called to wake up and prepare for battle. There's about five things I want you to see from these verses this morning. As we think about our spirit, as we look at our spiritual revelry is given by Paul here, and as we think about the truth that every believer must live spiritually awake, actively casting off sin and putting on Christ. The first thing I want you to see in verses 11 and the beginning of verse 12 is, is this. Number one, you know what time it is. If you're a believer today, you know what time it is. Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Verse 11 begins, besides this. That phrase refers back to verses 8 and 10. If you look back to verses 8 and 10, it says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And what Paul is saying as he begins here is he's already said that love for our neighbors, as we've been seeing over the last several weeks, both other believers and even our enemies is the fulfillment of the law. That's what verse 10 is saying. Now, in verse 11, Paul is saying that in addition to knowing that that kind of love fulfills God's law, 
Paul says, besides that, you also know what time it is. So the first motivation for living this life of love for all people, God first and others second, is the fact that it's the fulfillment of the law. It's the, it's the will of God for us. But Paul says, you also know what time it is. Now, we know that Jesus, who lived a perfect life for us, died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins, and on the third day rose in victory over sin and hell. We know that Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Now, if you're a Christ follower here today, let me just ask you this question. Is what I just said, is the soon return of Christ something you didn't know before this moment after I just told you about it? Is there anybody who had no idea Jesus was coming back soon? Anybody? You see, you know what time it is. From the very beginning of your walk with the Lord Jesus, did you not know? Were you not told as, as, as someone shared the gospel with you that Jesus came and lived a perfect life in your place, went to the cross, was buried, third day rose again, ascended to heaven, but one day he's coming back to take us home to heaven. I mean, you've known that since the beginning, right? You know what time it is, Paul says. We all know. What time it is. We know that we live our lives in light of the certain return of our Savior to judge the world and to glorify and transform us, His people, and take us into the Father's presence forever. We know that our lives are lived in the light of glory. If you will, the light of heaven shines back into time and affects how we live. It illuminates the path for how we're to live as we make our way even to glory. Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 20, 28, as he was talking about different things that would unfold in history when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. That's kind of like wake up because your redemption is drawing near. Can I make a profound statement? I don't make many. And I'm being a little funny at this point, but stay with me. We're closer to Christ's return today than anyone's ever been in history. And you know what? Tomorrow, if, if we're here and Christ doesn't return today, we'll be closer to Christ's return than anybody's ever been in history. We're already 2,000 years closer than Paul was. You say, great day. Is he ever coming back? Well, I mean, you know, be reminded with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is, is, is as a day. Nobody knows when it's going to be, but it could be any day. For all of us as believers, never forget, it is the dawn of the coming of an everlasting day. Because the Son of God is risen and soon and very soon, Jesus will return to bring the full light of everlasting day in, in, in the, in the creation of the new heavens and the new earth where we'll inhabit the new Jerusalem forever with our Father and Jesus our Savior as the light for us to see the glory of God eternally. You see, you know what time it is. It's time to live wide awake spiritually so we're ready for His return. You know what time it is, but secondly, notice in verse 11, it's time to wake from spiritual 
sleep. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. How many of y'all slept good last night? Okay. How many of you, better question, how many of you like me just don't sleep real deep? So, maybe we need a definition of what sleep is. By the way, this is good. Just dictionary definition. The, the dictionary defines sleep as a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events that are taking place. Now, I never thought about sleep exactly like that, but that'll preach. A state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events that are taking place. It's time to wake from spiritual sleep. John Piper said, everything in the world that does not waken more faith in Christ puts you to sleep. Most of the world thinks it is brought awake when it is sound asleep. Entertainment-saturated people who do not treasure Christ above all are like skydivers who think that the wind passing through their fingers at 120 miles an hour is the ultimate thrill of being alive when, in fact, they have no parachutes and the gravity that pulls them inexorably to the ground is the wrath and justice of God. And that's the reality for the lost world around us. They are plummeting to, into everlasting destruction, and they think that free fall is the ride of their lives. I did once, and so did you. That's why we pray for our neighbors and our witness every Sunday. That's why. That's what's happening in their lives. But here's, here's the deal in this passage. According to Paul here in verse 11, he's not talking about the lost world. He's talking to me and you as believers. Apparently, according to Paul in verse 11, we as believers can be asleep in the light or else he wouldn't need to call us to wake from sleep. Pastor David Guzik says, it is, it is possible to do many Christian things and yet essentially be asleep towards God. Sometimes people talk in their sleep. Sometimes people hear things in their sleep. Sometimes people walk in their sleep. Others sing in their sleep. Some people think in their sleep. We call it dreaming. Because one can do many religious things and still be asleep toward God, it is important for every believer to make sure that they are truly awake and active in their life before God. So here's the question for me and for you this morning. Are we spiritually sleepwalking? It's possible. Or Paul wouldn't have wasted the ink on this passage. Are we spiritually sleepwalking? Are we just going through the motions of church attendance and activity, but, but the rest of the week we're just kind of snoozing, uh, we're snoozing spiritually the rest of the time? We don't live any different than, than the world around us. We get excited about the same things our, our lost and, and hell-bound neighbors and friends get excited about. There's no real priority difference in our lives. 
We spend our time and our money the same way everybody else does. We don't look any different because we're spiritually asleep. And yet we may be like them in, this, in these moments, feel like we're on the ride of our lives. We're living the American dream. Couldn't be any better. And you know what we do? We even baptize our spiritual sleep. God has blessed us. When in fact all of the comfort and ease, money and possessions and time and leisure could in fact, could in fact be the curse of God. It's time to wake from spiritual sleep, Paul says. You know the time. It's time to wake up. Paul goes on to tell us, thirdly, that it's time to cast off the works of darkness. Wake up and cast off. It's time to cast off the works of darkness. Verse 12, about halfway through. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness. Skip down to verse 13. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. It is time not only to wake from spiritual sleep, but to cast off the works of darkness. So what does that mean? It means that we walk properly. We don't walk in orgies and drunkenness. We don't live in sexual immorality and sensuality. We, we don't live in quarreling and jealousy within our relationships. All of those things he just listed, those six sins, those three pairs of sins that he just listed, that we're not to be doing, notice this about them. They are self-focused sin, by the way, as, as is pretty much all sin, right? That is, those are activities that are for our pleasure at the expense of either God's glory and the good of others or both. And you see, such is the very end antithesis of love for God and love for our neighbors. We could say that sin is a lack of love for God and for our neighbors. You remember what verse 8 or 10 said? I can't recall right off. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Another thing we could say there is love gives glory to God. If it's God's kind of love, it'll give glory to God ultimately. But the way it'll do that is it'll do good to its neighbor. These things listed here, it's all about me at the expense of anybody and everybody, God's ways, and, and, and the good of people around me. Charles Spurgeon said, the rags of sin must come off if we pick up and put on the robe of Christ. There must be a taking away of the love of sin. There must be a renouncing of the practices and habits of sin, or else a man cannot be a Christian it will be an idle attempt to try and wear religion as a sort of celestial overall over the top of old sins. Now, as Spurgeon's saying, that when we stop sinning, we can be saved. Hello? I mean, how many of y'all stop sinning? Yeah, me either. 
No. What he's saying, though, is if you've come to know Christ and you've actually clothed yourself in the righteousness of Christ, things change. If the, change. If the Spirit of God has come to live in you, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the one who rose Jesus from the dead has come to live in you, then things change. And something's bad wrong if you profess to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but every day you get up and put on overalls on top of Jesus called sin. And so that's why Paul calls us to cast off the works of darkness. Don't be living in all these various sins that he describes. Romans 6.4 puts it this way. Excuse me, 6.11. Romans 6, verses 11 to 14. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just as Jesus died for our sins and was buried, third day rose again, that's a picture of how we're to live. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's who he's made us to be. We are those who can be dead to sin. In Christ, we are dead to sin, and we can live alive to God. And so Paul makes it real practical. In verse 12, he says, Let's not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. Just don't let it. Stop it to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that is, the parts of your body, to to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What's Paul saying? What Paul's telling you and me is this. We've been saved by the risen Savior. We've been indwelt by the Spirit of the resurrection, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Grace reigns in our life, which means that we don't have to say yes to sin. We can choose to say no to sin and yes to obedience to God. We can every time we have the resources in Christ and by His Spirit to say no to sin and yes to God every time. Now, do we do it every time? No. But that's no excuse for never doing it, amen? There's no excuse for just living in sin because, you know, hey, I just, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. That's the way you used to be if you're in Christ. You've been made into a new creature. You've been given life in Jesus where there's nothing but death. And part of that life is not just justification and a right standing legally before holy God, but a change in life. The power of the resurrection is yours. You don't have to present your eyes, your mind, your ears, your hands, your feet to sin as, members, as instruments of righteousness. You can say, no, I'm going to give my body all that I am, my thoughts, my heart, my passions, my thinking, my words. I can give it all. I'm going to make it fit and conform to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live differently. Paul says, you know what time it is. Jesus is coming back. And what that means is, it's time to cast off the works of darkness. We are to be living differently. 
without getting into all the detail of the sins Paul lists here, just, just glance at them again. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Just, just the summary of it is this. That's the way the world lives. That pretty much describes all of the different... Um, I mean, it just kind of categorizes the sins of the world, if you will. And at some level... When we say yes to sin, we're participating in some of those sins to some level, some degree, or the other. You say, I've never participated in orgy. Okay, well, good. But if you've given yourself over to lust, if you've, if you've let, that, let that go and let, just let it take its course, via pornography or whatever it might be, it's the same thing. You understand where, where this is going? Paul uses these general categories not to say these are six sins, and if you, you know, just get rid of these. They represent so much, and you could just take off on that. All that quarreling and jealousy represents. I mean, just look at our world. It's all about me. And when it's all about me, I'm quarreling with you, and, and, and I'm jealous of you. And, and, and the bottom line is that one-upmanship, I've got to be better. I'm, I've got to be better than you, and so that means I'm going to put you down. We're going to fight and so forth and so on. It's time to cast off the works of darkness. Fourthly, though, notice, it's time to put on the armor of light. That is Christ himself. Verse 12 and kind of at the end where he just simply says, put on the armor of light. It's this phrase in particular that lets us know this again is is the reason I use Reveille is because it it fits the passage. Paul is painting the picture of a a soldier getting ready for battle, waking up, getting in uniform, putting on his armor, taking off his, his, his pajamas, throwing those away, getting rid of all the filth from his from his civilian life, maybe before he entered the, the, the service of the, of the military there and, and, and living for the honor of his kingdom. Put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's true that we are already clothed in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The day I trusted Jesus, Paul says we are clothed in his righteousness in another place. And, and, and the day I trusted Jesus, it, it was as if God wrapped me in, in, in a robe of, of Christ, his righteousness. So that when God looks at me, he sees Christ. Not that he doesn't know who I am, but he chooses to legally view me as righteous as Jesus is. This is what justification by faith means. This is what imputed righteousness means. We are righteous before God by virtue of Jesus. Perfect righteousness credited to us. When we simply believe His promises. So it's true that we're clothed in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, but but think of Paul's instruction this way. When you're dressed up in a tuxedo or a formal gown... And I am thankful to say I, I can barely remember. It's been a couple years. I, I don't like tuxedos, okay? I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't wear suits any more than I absolutely have to. But when you're in a suit, a tuxedo, an evening gown, ladies, I mean, 
<laughs> you got to walk different, amen? I mean, that thing, by the way, I was in a suit last weekend <laughs> that don't fit quite like it used to. And uh, thank God there were some people I knew there because I had a phone in my back pocket, I had my keys, and those, the britches have done, you know, shrunk up. I don't know exactly what happened. But everything shrunk up, and I, I couldn't even have my, my glasses up here because same thing with the jacket. It's just, it's just not fitting right. I mean, I don't know. And so I had to, like, empty all my pockets, and I went over to Marnie and Lucy, and I said, one of y'all got a pocketbook because I've got to get rid of this stuff. When you're in a suit, when you're in a tuxedo and even again, you've got to walk different. Your behavior is limited by what you're wearing. Paul is saying, live like you're clothed with Christ himself, because you are. Live like the one who justified you freely by his grace and gave you his very own righteousness. Live like he lived. You're wrapped in a robe of Christ. It was a negative thing when it first happened there in the book of Acts, but Jesus' followers were given the name Christian. Again, it's a derogatory term, and it simply meant little Christ. They, they go around looking like Jesus. Imagine it. Christians actually looked like Jesus, like they, they showed the world who he was and how they lived, and so should it be. Because you know what time it is. He is coming back soon. So Paul says, be holy in love, especially in love, so that the world can see His glory and so that you are ready for the full light of eternity to shine on you when Jesus splits the eastern sky and comes to usher us into the everlasting joy of His immediate presence. What a day that's going to be. And you know what time it is. You know it's soon. So put on the armor of light. It's not the only place Paul talks about this. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. By the way, he's not just talking about in, in physical terms here. He's talking about those who don't know Christ and those who know him. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What is the armor of light? It's that breastplate that protects our heart. Uh, the breastplate of faith, trust in Jesus, and love for Him. It's that helmet of hope, the hope of our salvation. It's the truth of, 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 of this finished work of Jesus that protects how we think about ourselves and, and how our lives are, are directed and, and the trajectory of our lives because we have hope. We have a, Joe, we just sang it, we have a living hope. Jesus is our living hope, and that home and hope is a helmet to protect our minds. You don't belong to the night. 
So you got to cast off the deeds of darkness. You got to put on the armor of light. Breastplate of faith and love. Helmet, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. John Piper says the Christian life is not just waking, it is war. The armor of light is faith and hope and love. So put on faith in Jesus and hope in Jesus and love for Jesus. That is what it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what verse 14 says, put on Christ. It's time to put on the armor of light. It's time to put on Christ. In 1 John it says, if we say we love Christ, then we ought to walk even as He walked. That doesn't mean you try to figure out how He literally walked this earth, what His gait was, how, how, how long His steps were. That's not what that... It, you live like He lived. You love like He loved. You say no to sin like He said no to sin. said no to sin. It's time to put on the armor of light. It's time that the church shine with a beauty not our own, that it's clear that the way we live can only be empowered by Christ Himself living in us by His Spirit. So when the world looks at us, they see something supernatural happening in and through our lives. And here's the deal. That just should be the norm. This isn't something reserved for just a few who, you know, really get into the church. (laughs) This is normal for all of us who call Jesus king. This is just part of stewarding our lives for the glory of King Jesus. Well, fifthly and finally this morning... Even as it's time to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, to put on Christ Himself, to clothe ourselves with His character. Finally, it's time to make no provision for the flesh. If you're going to put on Christ, then you have to make no provision for the flesh. Verse 14, it's Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. David Guzik said, The flesh will be as active as we allow it to be. Remember, we are those who can say no to sin and yes to God. We can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We can say, I'm not presenting my members as instruments of unrighteousness, but I'm going to use my body, my mind, everything I've got for holiness, for obedience to God. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying starve the flesh. Starve that part of you where sin remains and you have longings to do sin. Scripture tells us that there's a, there's a battle going on in the life of the believer between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit of God indwells us, and yet we're still in this body of death. We're not yet glorified. 
All you got to do is just look, look to your left, look to your right, and you can see we're not glorified. We're not there yet. And so there's this battle that goes on, and Paul is saying here, make no provision. Don't feed the flesh. Starve it. You see, we don't have to let our flesh, with all of its sinful and selfish desires, rule our lives. Christ rose from the dead, and He lives in me. I can say no to sin and yes to God. We can practically clothe ourselves with His character and righteousness in our actions by the power of His indwelling Spirit. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says it this way, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We've been called to salvation in Christ. Paul says you ought to live different because of that. You ought to live in a way that shows how valuable grace is, how valuable forgiveness and righteousness in Jesus is. What way shows that? Love for God, giving yourself every day as a living sacrifice to Him in order that you might in turn love your neighbors, even as you love yourself, and love, which means love also your enemies, even as God has loved His enemies. That's what it means to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's time to make no provision for the flesh. It's time to stop feeding the flesh. Every believer must live spiritually awake, actively casting off sin and putting on Christ. When Augustine, the great Christian thinker and theologian, wrote his confessions, he talked about the despair of his life. He was in heart distress, he says, because he couldn't live the way he wanted to. And he kept crying out to God, how long, how long, how long? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, he said, but why not now? God, I, I keep saying I'll do better tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll change tomorrow, but why not now? It's as if he was saying, God, what is wrong? Why can't I live today the way I'm supposed to live? He's racking his mind to find some solution to this dilemma, and he went and visited a friend named Olypius and Olypius was sitting there reading part of Paul's writings, and in his distress, as he realized what his friend was reading, Augustine snatched it out of his friend's hands, and his eyes fell on these words, Let us not walk in revelry or drunkenness, in immorality or shamelessness, contention and strife. This very passage we've been studying this morning, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Augustine said, Then... These words, I neither wished nor needed to read further. With the end of that sentence, as though the light of assurance had poured into my heart, all the shades of doubt were scattered. I put my finger in the page and closed the book. You see, Augustine realized in that moment that in Christ we can live in victory over sin, in holiness and in love, all by the power of Christ. But here's the deal, we have to do it. We have to put on Christ and cast off sin. We have to make no provision for the flesh. We have to starve the flesh. Every believer must live spiritually awake, 
actively casting off sin and putting on Christ. By the way, if you're not actively casting off sin and putting on Christ, you are not spiritually awake. As one commentator says, it isn't as if Jesus does it for us as we just sit back. Instead, he does it through us as we willingly and actively partner with him. I don't understand how how it all works. I know this. I can only obey by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I also know. If I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to somehow magically zap me into obedience, it ain't going to happen. I have to choose to say no to sin and yes to what's right before holy God. And trust the Spirit to give me what I need to get that done. I don't know how it all works. But I know it's found in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Here's what it says. Command, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can I just tell you what he's, what's, what's packed into that one phrase? Cast off sin, put on the armor of light, put on Christ, make no provision for the flesh. That's what all that means. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means more than that, but it means at least that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, you work it out. For, because, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I don't know how that works, but I know it's true. And Paul basically says, you do it like it depends on you 100%, but know this, it depends on God 100%. You confused yet? Good. Well, here's the bottom line. Just, just obey. Amen? What's he saying? Work out. You take the responsibility for putting on the armor of light and, and, and casting off the deeds of darkness. But just know, what, what, what should motivate you for that to be a serious thing in your life? The fact that the Spirit of God is working in you both the desire to do and the, 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 the want to do and the ability to do of His good pleasure. And so whenever we don't put off the deeds of darkness and put on Christ, we grieve the Spirit of God who lives in us and who is moving us to that. You see, if you're His, He is moving you to righteousness. Amen? I mean, if you follow Jesus here today, if you, if you would say that, that, that you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, let me just ask you this question. Do you not, in your deepest, in your heart of hearts, don't, don't you, by the Spirit of God today, even if you're struggling today with a particular sin, don't you still want to do what's right and obey God? Raise your hand. Amen? You want to be holy. You want to be like Christ. You want to show why. Because it is God who is working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So trusting that that's happening in you, Paul says, do it. Work it out. Say no to sin and yes to God. Every believer must live spiritually awake, casting off sin and putting on Christ. This has been, this morning, your spiritual revelry. Are you awake? The only way you can claim to be awake is if you're casting off sin and putting on righteousness. If you're saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, actively, consistently, all the time, because you know what time it is. He is coming.
And in short, what that means is that in view of God's mercy, every day you crawl up on the altar of sacrifice and you give yourself a living sacrifice, which means you say, God, I'm going to love my, my brothers and sisters in the body. I'm going to use my gifts to serve them. I'm going, I'm going to sacrifice for them. I'm going to love them as family. But not only that, God, I'm going to do just like the good Samaritan. I'm going to love my enemy because you loved me when I was still your enemy. And when we love like that, then we put on Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wake-up call that is loud and clear. Help us as your people to walk in it now. Oh, Lord, we want Jesus' glory in our lives. Wake us up. Show us areas of our lives where we're sleeping. We may feel as alive in those areas as any part of our lives, but, Lord, it may be the false rush, the deadly rush of sin. Give us eyes to see. And help us, oh God, to love you, our neighbors and our enemies, even as you have loved us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. This altar is open for you to come and respond to God's Word, however you may need to this morning, just in prayer, maybe you need to come to Christ. You've heard the gospel this morning, what God's done for us in Christ. I would love to introduce you to Him today. I'll be right here at the front. Maybe you join our church family. God's calling you to become part of the ministry here. We'd love to have you. Just whatever your need as we sing.
Aren't you thankful that God's grace through Christ covers you? Amen. Please be seated for just a moment. Uh, just about five quick announcements this morning. First of all, cry out to Jesus' prayer service tonight at 6 o'clock. Come join your church family and let's cry out to Jesus together. God's Word makes it clear corporate prayer is powerful. There, he's ordained it to be so. Again, don't understand how a lot of things work, but He intends for us to pray and to pray together in the same room at the same time. So join us tonight at 6 o'clock. There'll be no Wednesday evening youth or children's ministries this Wednesday. We will have um, See for Yourself Bible Study and Larry Monax's adult Bible study. Yes, Larry? Yes, at 6.30. So join us uh, adults for Bible study this Wednesday at 6.30. D-Now weekend is coming up March 17th to the 20th. We are in need of host homes. If you would be willing to serve as a host home and have a group of young people in your home uh, on Friday and Saturday night. Um, be willing to get them to and from the, the location for, for D-Now and, and then also here on Sunday morning for worship. Then please see uh, or call or text me. Um, also, if your student needs signing up for D-Now, now is the time to get that done. So see myself or Stacy Lanning about that. The cost is $50 and it's due now. Center Kid Parent Letter. If, you're, if you have children, um, I think up through about the fifth grade, there's a letter on your way out on the desk there that explains Center Kid, and you can, it'll put you in contact with Alice Holt over at First Baptist. And uh, I think right now we've got about nine kids planning to go, but uh, if your child would like to be part of that, you can pick that up on the way out and check it out. Looking ahead about a month, Sunday, March the 20th, Dinner on the Grounds to benefit our summer youth camp our, as the, the kids go to camp this summer. So dinner on the grounds, basically what that means is they're going to fix us a meal. Uh, stay and eat. Plan now. Put it on your calendar. Dinner on the grounds at church. And then whatever you're going to spend at you know, the local restaurant after church, donate that to the uh, kids and scholarship and some kids for youth camp this summer. 
Are there any other announcements that need to be made at this time? All right. If not, let's stand together. Brother Jim, will you dismiss this in prayer?